small bridge called Hanshaku-kyo, which means half-dipper bridge. Whenever Dogen Zenji dipped water from the river, he used only half a dipperful, returning the rest to the river again without throwing it away. That is why we call the bridge Hanshaku-kyo, half-dipper bridge. At Eheiji, when we wash our face, we fill the basin to just 70% of its capacity. And after we wash, we empty the water towards rather than away from our body. This expresses respect for the water. This kind of practice is not based on any idea of being economical. It may be difficult to understand why Dogen returned half of the water he dipped to the river. This kind of practice is beyond our thinking. When we feel the beauty of the river, when we are one with the water, we intuitively do it in Dogen's way. It is our true nature to do so. But if your true nature is covered by ideas of economy or efficiency, Dogen's way makes no sense. I went to Yosemite National Park, and I saw some huge waterfalls. The highest one there is 1,340 feet high and from it the water comes down like a curtain thrown from the top of the mountain. It does not seem to come down swiftly as you might expect. It seems to come down very slowly because of the distance, and the water does not come down as one stream, but is separated into many tiny streams. From a distance it looks like a curtain. And I thought it must be a very difficult experience for each drop of water to come down from the top of such a high mountain. It takes time, you know, a long time for the water finally to reach the bottom of the waterfall. And it seems to me that our human life may be like this. We have many difficult experiences in our life. But at the same time, I thought, the water was not originally separated, but was one whole river. Only when it is separated does it have some difficulty in falling. It is as if the water does not have any feeling when it is one whole river. Only when separated into many drops can it begin to have or to express some feeling. When we see one whole river, we do not feel the living activity of the water. But when we dip a part of the water into a dipper, we experience some feeling of the water, and we also feel the value of the person who uses the water. Feeling ourselves and the water in this way, we cannot use it in just a material way. It is a living thing. Before we were born, we had no feeling. We were one with the universe. This is called mind only, or essence of mind, or big mind. After we are separated by birth from this oneness, as the water falling from the waterfall is separated by the wind and rocks, then we have feeling. You have difficulty because you have feeling. You attach to the feeling you have without knowing just how this kind of feeling is created. When you do not realize that you are one with the river or one with the universe, you have fear. Whether it is separated into drops or not, water is water. Our life and death are the same thing. When we realize this fact, we have no fear of death anymore and we have no actual difficulty in our life. When the water returns to its original oneness with the river, it no longer has any individual feeling to it. It resumes its own nature and finds composure. 
How very glad the water must be to come back to the original river. If this is so, what feeling will we have when we die? I think we are like the water in the dipper. We will have composure then, perfect composure. It may be too perfect for us just now, because we are so much attached to our own feeling, to our individual existence. For us just now, we have some fear of death. But after we resume our true original nature, there is nirvana. That is why we say, to attain nirvana is to pass away. To pass away is not a very adequate expression. Perhaps to pass on, or to go on, or to join would be better. Will you try to find some better expression for death? When you find it, you will have quite a new interpretation of your life. It will be like my experience when I saw the water in the big waterfall. Imagine, it was 1,340 feet high. We say everything comes out of emptiness. One whole river or one whole mind is emptiness. When we reach this understanding, we find the true meaning of our life. When we reach this understanding, we can see the beauty of human life. Before we realize this fact, everything that we see is just delusion. Sometimes we overestimate the beauty. Sometimes we underestimate or ignore the beauty because our small mind is not in accord with reality. To talk about it in this way is quite easy, but to have the actual feeling is not so easy. But by your practice of Zazen, you can cultivate this feeling. When you can sit with your whole body and mind, and with the oneness of your mind and body under the control of the universal mind, you can easily attain this kind of right understanding. Your everyday life will be renewed without being attached to an old, erroneous interpretation of life. When you realize this fact, you will discover how meaningless your old interpretation was and how much useless effort you had been making. You will find the true meaning of life, and even though you have difficulty falling upright from the top of the waterfall to the bottom of the mountain, you will enjoy your life. Part 3. Right Understanding Traditional Zen Spirit The most important things in our practice are our physical posture and our way of breathing. We are not so concerned about a deep understanding of Buddhism. As a philosophy, Buddhism is a very deep, wide, and firm system of thought. But Zen is not concerned about philosophical understanding. We emphasize practice. We should understand why our physical posture and breathing exercise are so important. Instead of having a deep understanding of the teaching, we need a strong confidence in our teaching, which says that originally we have Buddha nature. Our practice is based on this faith. Before Bodhidharma went to China, almost all the well-known stock words of Zen were in use. For instance, there was the term sudden enlightenment. Sudden enlightenment is not an adequate translation, but tentatively I will use the expression. Enlightenment comes all of a sudden to us. This is true enlightenment. Before Bodhidharma, people thought that after a long preparation, sudden enlightenment would come. Thus, Zen practice was a kind of training to gain enlightenment. 
Actually, many people today are practicing Zazen with this idea. But this is not the traditional understanding of Zen. The understanding passed down from Buddha to our time is that when you start Zazen, there is enlightenment, even without any preparation. Whether you practice Zazen or not, you have Buddha nature. Because you have it, there is enlightenment in your practice. The points we emphasize are not the stage we attain, but the strong confidence we have in our original nature and the sincerity of our practice. We should practice Zen with the same sincerity as Buddha. If originally we have Buddha nature, the reason we practice Zazen is that we must behave like Buddha. To transmit our way is to transmit our spirit from Buddha. So we have to harmonize our spirit, our physical posture, and our activity with the traditional way. You may attain some particular stage, of course, but the spirit of your practice should not be based on an egoistic idea. According to the traditional Buddhist understanding, our human nature is without ego. When we have no idea of ego, we have Buddha's view of life. Our egoistic ideas are delusion, covering our Buddha nature. We are always creating and following them, and in repeating this process over and over again, our life becomes completely occupied by ego-centered ideas. This is called karmic life, or karma. The Buddhist life should not be karmic life. The purpose of our practice is to cut off the karmic spinning mind. If you are trying to attain enlightenment, that is a part of karma. You are creating and being driven by karma and you're wasting your time on your black cushion. According to Bodhidharma's understanding, practice based on any gaining idea is just a repetition of your karma. Forgetting this point, many later Zen masters have emphasized some stage to be attained by practice. More important than any stage which you will attain is your sincerity, your right effort. Right effort must be based on a true understanding of our traditional practice. When you understand this point, you will understand how important it is to keep your posture right. When you do not understand this point, the posture and the way of breathing are just a means to attain enlightenment. If this is your attitude, it would be much better to take some drugs instead of sitting in the cross-legged position. If our practice is only a means to attain enlightenment, there is actually no way to attain it. We lose the meaning of the way to the goal. But when we believe in our way firmly, we have already attained enlightenment. When you believe in your way, enlightenment is there. But when you cannot believe in the meaning of the practice which you are doing in this moment, you cannot do anything. You are just wandering around the goal with your monkey mind. You are always looking for something without knowing what you are doing. If you want to see something, you should open your eyes. When you do not understand Bodhidharma Zen, you are trying to look at something with your eyes closed. We do not slight the idea of attaining enlightenment, but the most important thing is this moment, not some day in the future. We have to make our effort in this moment. This is the most important thing for our practice. Before Bodhidharma, the study of Buddha's teaching resulted in a deep and lofty philosophy of Buddhism, and people tried to attain its high ideals. This is a mistake. 
Bodhidharma discovered that it was a mistake to create some lofty or deep idea and then try to attain it by the practice of zazen. If that is our zazen, it is nothing different from our usual activity or monkey mind. It looks like a very good, a very lofty and holy activity, but actually there is no difference between it and our monkey mind. That is the point that Bodhidharma emphasized. Before Buddha attained enlightenment, he made all possible efforts for us, and at last he attained a thorough understanding of the various ways. You may think Buddha attained some stage where he was free from karmic life, but it is not so. Many stories were told by Buddha about his experiences after he attained enlightenment. He was not at all different from us. When his country was at war with a powerful neighbor, he told his disciples of his own karma, of how he suffered when he saw that his country was going to be conquered by the neighboring king. If he had been someone who had attained an enlightenment in which there was no karma, there would have been no reason for him to suffer so. And even after he attained enlightenment, he continued the same effort we are making. But his view of life was not shaky. His view of life was stable. And he watched everyone's life, including his own life. He watched himself and he watched others with the same eyes that he watched stones or plants or anything else. He had a very scientific understanding. That was his way of life after he attained enlightenment. When we have the traditional spirit to follow the truth as it goes and to practice our way without any egoistic idea, then we will attain enlightenment in its true sense. And when we understand this point, we will make our best effort in each moment. That is true understanding of Buddhism. So our understanding of Buddhism is not just an intellectual understanding. Our understanding at the same time is its own expression, is the practice itself. Not by reading or contemplation of philosophy, but only through practice. Actual practice can we understand what Buddhism is. Constantly we should practice Zazen with strong confidence in our true nature, breaking the chain of karmic activity and finding our place in the world of actual practice. Transiency The basic teaching of Buddhism is the teaching of transiency, or change. That everything changes is the basic truth for each existence. No one can deny this truth, and all teaching of Buddhism is condensed within it. This is the teaching for all of us. Wherever we go, this teaching is true. This teaching is also understood as the teaching of selflessness. Because each existence is in constant change, there is no abiding self. In fact, the self-nature of each existence is nothing but change itself, the self-nature of all existence. There is no special, separate self-nature for each existence. This is also called the teaching of nirvana. When we realize the everlasting truth of everything changes and find our composure in it, we find ourselves in nirvana. Without accepting the fact that everything changes, we cannot find perfect composure. But unfortunately, although it is true, it is difficult for us to accept it. Because we cannot accept the truth of transiency, we suffer. So the cause of suffering 
is our non-acceptance of this truth. The teaching of the cause of suffering and the teaching that everything changes are thus two sides of one coin. But subjectively, transiency is the cause of our suffering. Objectively, this teaching is simply the basic truth that everything changes. Dogen Zenji said, Teaching which does not sound as if it is forcing something on you is not true teaching. The teaching itself is true, and in itself does not force anything upon us, but because of our human tendency, we receive the teaching as if something was being forced on us. But whether we feel good or bad about it, this truth exists. If nothing exists, this truth does not exist. Buddhism exists because of each particular existence. We should find perfect existence through imperfect existence. We should find perfection in imperfection. For us, complete perfection is not different from imperfection. The eternal exists because of non-eternal existence. In Buddhism, it is a heretical view to expect something outside this world. We do not seek for something besides ourselves. We should find the truth in this world through our difficulties, through our suffering. This is the basic teaching of Buddhism. Pleasure is not different from difficulty. Good is not different from bad. Bad is good, good is bad. They are two sides of one coin. So enlightenment should be in practice. That is the right understanding of practice and the right understanding of our life. So to find pleasure in suffering is the only way to accept the truth of transiency. Without realizing how to accept this truth, you cannot live in this world. Even though you try to escape from it, your effort will be in vain. If you think that there is some other way to accept the eternal truth that everything changes, that is your delusion. This is the basic teaching of how to live in this world. Whatever you may feel about it, you have to accept it. You have to make this kind of effort. So, until we become strong enough to accept difficulty as pleasure, we have to continue this effort. Actually, if you become honest enough or straightforward enough, it is not so difficult to accept this truth. You can change your way of thinking a little bit. It is difficult, but this difficulty will not always be the same. Sometimes it will be difficult, and sometimes it will not be so difficult. If you are suffering, you will have some pleasure in the teaching that everything changes. When you are in trouble, it is quite easy to accept the teaching. So why not accept it at other times? It is the same thing. Sometimes you may laugh at yourself, discovering how selfish you are. But no matter how you feel about this teaching, it is very important for you to change your way of thinking and accept the truth of transiency. Emptiness If you want to understand Buddhism, it is necessary for you to forget all about your preconceived ideas. To begin with, you must give up the idea of substantiality or existence. The usual view of life is firmly rooted in the idea of existence. For most people, everything exists. They think whatever they see and whatever they hear exists. Of course the bird we see and hear exists. It exists. But what I mean by that may not be exactly what you mean. The Buddhist understanding of life includes both existence and non-existence. 
The bird both exists and does not exist at the same time. We say that a view of life based on existence alone is heretical. If you take things too seriously as if they existed substantially or permanently, you are called a heretic. Most people may be heretics. We say true existence comes from emptiness and goes back again into emptiness. What appears from emptiness is true existence. We have to go through the gate of emptiness. This idea of existence is very difficult to explain. Many people these days have begun to feel, at least intellectually, the emptiness of the modern world or the self-contradiction of their culture. In the past, for instance, the Japanese people had a firm confidence in the permanent existence of their culture and their traditional way of life. But since they lost the war, they have become very skeptical. Some people think this skeptical attitude is awful, but actually it is better than the old attitude. As long as we have some definite idea about or some hope in the future, we cannot really be serious with the moment that exists right now. You may say, I can do it tomorrow or next year, believing that something that exists today will exist tomorrow. Even though you are not trying so hard, you expect that some promising thing will come as long as you follow a certain way. But there is no certain way that exists permanently. There is no way set up for us. Moment after moment, we have to find our own way. Some idea of perfection or some perfect way which is set up by someone else is not the true way for us. Each one of us must make his own true way. And when we do, that way will express the universal way. This is the mystery. When you understand one thing through and through, you understand everything. When you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything. The best way is to understand yourself, and then you will understand everything. So when you try hard to make your own way, you will help others and you will be helped by others. Before you make your own way, you cannot help anyone, and no one can help you. To be independent in this true sense, we have to forget everything which we have in our mind and discover something quite new and different, moment after moment. This is how we live in this world. So we say true understanding will come out of emptiness. When you study Buddhism, you should have a general house-cleaning of your mind. You must take everything out of your room and clean it thoroughly. If it is necessary, you may bring everything back in again. You may want many things, so one by one you can bring them back. But if they're not necessary, there's no need to keep them. We see the flying bird. Sometimes we see the trace of it. Actually, we cannot see the trace of a flying bird, but sometimes we feel as if we could. This is also good. If it is necessary, you should bring back in the things you took from your room. But before you put something in your room, it is necessary for you to take out something. If you do not, your room will become crowded with old, useless junk. We say, step by step, I stop the sound of the murmuring brook. When you walk along the brook, you'll hear the water running. The sound is continuous but you must be able to stop it if you want to stop it. This is freedom. This is renunciation. 
One after another you will have various thoughts in your mind. But if you want to stop your thinking, you can. So when you are able to stop the sound of the murmuring brook, you will appreciate the feeling of your work. But as long as you have some fixed idea or are caught by some habitual way of doing things, you cannot appreciate things in their true sense. If you seek for freedom, you cannot find it. Absolute freedom itself is necessary before you can acquire absolute freedom. That is our practice. Our way is not always to go in one direction. Sometimes we go east, sometimes we go west. To go one mile to the west means to go back one mile to the east. Usually, if you go one mile to the east, it is the opposite of going one mile to the west. But if it is possible to go one mile to the east, that means it is possible to go one mile to the west. This is freedom. Without this freedom, you cannot be concentrated on what you do. You may think you are concentrated on something, but before you obtain this freedom, you'll have some uneasiness in what you are doing. Because you are bound by some idea of going east or west, your activity is in dichotomy or duality. As long as you are caught by duality, you cannot attain absolute freedom and you cannot concentrate. Concentration is not to try hard to watch something. In Zazen, if you try to look at one spot, you'll be tired in about five minutes. This is not concentration. Concentration means freedom. So your effort should be directed at nothing. You should be concentrated on nothing. In Zazen practice, we say your mind should be concentrated on your breathing. But the way to keep your mind on your breathing is to forget all about yourself and just to sit and feel your breathing. If you are concentrated on your breathing, you will forget yourself. And if you forget yourself, you will be concentrated on your breathing. I do not know which is first. So actually, there is no need to try too hard to be concentrated on your breathing. Just do as much as you can. If you continue this practice, eventually you will experience the true existence which comes from emptiness. Believing in Nothing I discovered that it is necessary, absolutely necessary, to believe in nothing. That is, we have to believe in something which has no form and no color. Something which exists before all forms and colors appear. This is a very important point. No matter what God or doctrine you believe in, if you become attached to it, your belief will be based more or less on a self-centered idea. You strive for a perfect faith in order to save yourself. But it will take time to attain such a perfect faith. You will be involved in an idealistic practice. In constantly seeking to actualize your ideal, you will have no time for composure. But if you are always prepared for accepting everything we see as something appearing from nothing, knowing that there is some reason why a phenomenal existence of such and such a form and color appears, then at that moment you will have perfect composure. When you have a headache, there is some reason why you have a headache. If you know why you have a headache, you will feel better. But if you do not know why, you may say, Oh, I have a terrible headache. Maybe it is because of my bad practice. If my meditation or Zen practice were better, I wouldn't have this kind of trouble. If you understand conditions in this way, you will not have perfect faith in yourself or in your practice until you attain perfection. You will be so busy trying 
that I'm afraid you'll have no time to attain perfect practice, so you may have to keep your headache all the time. This is a rather silly kind of practice. This kind of practice will not work. But if you believe in something which exists before you have the headache, and if you know the reason why you have the headache, then you'll feel better naturally. To have a headache will be all right, because you are healthy enough to have a headache. If you have a stomach ache, your stomach is healthy enough to have pain. But if your stomach becomes accustomed to its poor condition, you will have no pain. That is awful. You will be coming to the end of your life from your stomach trouble. So it is absolutely necessary for everyone to believe in nothing. But I do not mean voidness. There is something. But that something is something which is always prepared for taking some particular form and that has some rules or theory or truth in its activity. This is called Buddha nature or Buddha himself. When this existence is personified, we call it Buddha. When we understand it as the ultimate truth, we call it Dharma. And when we accept the truth and act as a part of the Buddha or according to the theory, we call ourselves Sangha. But even though there are three Buddha forms, it is one existence which has no form or color, and it is always ready to take form and color. This is not just theory. This is not just the teaching of Buddhism. This is the absolutely necessary understanding of our life. Without this understanding, our religion will not help us. We will be bound by our religion, and we will have more trouble because of it. If you become the victim of Buddhism, I may be very happy, but you will not be so happy. So this kind of understanding is very, very important. While you are practicing Zazen, you may hear the rain dropping from the roof in the dark. Later, the wonderful mist will be coming through the big trees, and still later, when people start to work, they will see the beautiful mountains. But some people will be annoyed if they hear the rain when they're lying in their beds in the morning, because they do not know that later they will see the beautiful sun rising from the east. If our mind is concentrated on ourselves, we will have this kind of worry. But if we accept ourselves as the embodiment of the truth or Buddha nature, we will have no worry. We will think, now it is raining, but we don't know what will happen in the next moment. By the time we go out, it may be a beautiful day or a stormy day. Since we don't know, let's appreciate the sound of the rain now. This kind of attitude is the right attitude. If you understand yourself as a temporal embodiment of the truth, you will have no difficulty whatsoever. You will appreciate your surroundings, and you will appreciate yourself as a wonderful part of Buddha's great activity, even in the midst of difficulties. This is our way of life. Using the Buddhist terminology, we should begin with enlightenment and proceed to practice, and then to thinking. Usually, thinking is rather self-centered. In our everyday life, our thinking is 99% self-centered. Why do I have suffering? Why do I have trouble? This kind of thinking is 99% of our thinking. For example, when we start to study science or read a difficult sutra, we very soon become sleepy or drowsy. But we are always wide awake and very much interested in our self-centered thinking. But if enlightenment comes first before thinking, before practice, your thinking and your practice will not be self-centered. By enlightenment, I mean believing in nothing. 
believing in something which has no form or no color, which is ready to take form or color. This enlightenment is the immutable truth. It is on this original truth that our activity, our thinking, and our practice should be based. Original Buddhism Walking, standing, sitting, and lying down are the four activities or ways of behavior in Buddhism. Zazen is not one of the four ways of behavior, and according to Dogen Zenji, the Soto school is not one of the many schools of Buddhism. The Chinese Soto school may be one of the many schools of Buddhism, but according to Dogen, his way was not one of the many schools. If this is so, you may ask why we put emphasis on the sitting posture, or why we put emphasis on having a teacher. The reason is because Zazen is not just one of the four ways of behavior. Zazen is a practice which contains innumerable activities. Zazen started even before Buddha and will continue forever. So this sitting posture cannot be compared to the other four activities. Usually people put emphasis on some particular position or on some particular understanding of Buddhism and they think, this is Buddhism. But we cannot compare our way with the practices people normally understand. Our teaching cannot be compared to other teachings of Buddhism. This is why we should have a teacher who does not attach to any particular understanding of Buddhism. The original teaching of Buddha includes all the various schools. As Buddhists, our traditional effort should be like Buddhas. We should not attach to any particular school or doctrine. But usually, if we have no teacher, and if we take pride in our own understanding, we will lose the original characteristic of Buddha's teaching, which includes all the various teachings. Because Buddha was the founder of the teaching, people tentatively called his teaching Buddhism. But actually, Buddhism is not some particular teaching. Buddhism is just truth, which includes various truths in it. Zazen practice is the practice which includes the various activities of life. So actually we do not emphasize the sitting posture alone. How to sit is how to act. We study how to act by sitting, and this is the most basic activity for us. That is why we practice Zazen in this way. Even though we practice Zazen, we should not call ourselves the Zen school. We just practice Zazen, taking our example from Buddha. That is why we practice. Buddha taught us how to act through our practice. That is why we sit. To do something, to live in each moment, means to be the temporal activity of Buddha. To sit in this way is to be Buddha himself, to be as the historical Buddha was. The same thing applies to everything we do. Everything is Buddha's activity. So whatever you do, or even if you keep from doing something, Buddha is in that activity. Because people have no such understanding of Buddha, they think that what they do is the most important thing, without knowing who it is that is actually doing it. People think they are doing various things, but actually, Buddha is doing everything. Each one of us has his own name, but those names are the many names of one Buddha. Each one of us has many activities, but these activities are all Buddha's activities. Without knowing this, People put emphasis on some activity. When they put emphasis on Zazen, it is not true Zazen. It looks as if they are sitting in the same way as Buddha, but there is a big difference in their understanding of our practice. 
They understand this sitting posture is just one of the four basic postures of man, and they think, I now take this posture. But Zazen is all the postures, and each posture is Buddha's posture. This understanding is the right understanding of the Zazen posture. If you practice in this way, it is Buddhism. This is a very, very important point. So Dogen did not call himself a Soto teacher or a Soto disciple. He said, other people may call us the Soto school, but there is no reason for us to call ourselves Soto. You should not even use the name Soto. No school should consider itself a separate school. It should just be one tentative form of Buddhism. But as long as various schools do not accept this kind of understanding, as long as they continue calling themselves by their particular names, we must accept the tentative name of Soto. But I want to make this point clear. Actually, we are not the Soto school at all. We are just Buddhists. We are not even Zen Buddhists. We are just Buddhists. If we understand this point, we are truly Buddhists. Buddha's teaching is everywhere. Today it is raining. This is Buddha's teaching. People think their own way or their own religious understanding is Buddha's way without knowing what they are hearing or what they are doing or where they are. Religion is not any particular teaching. Religion is everywhere. We have to understand our teaching in this way. We should forget all about some particular teaching. We should not ask which is good or bad. There should not be any particular teaching. Teaching is in each moment, in every existence. That is the true teaching. Buddha's Enlightenment I am very glad to be here on the day Buddha attained enlightenment under the bow tree. When he attained enlightenment under the bow tree, he said, It is wonderful to see Buddha nature in everything and in each individual. What he meant was that when we practice Zazen, we have Buddha nature, and each of us is Buddha himself. By practice, he did not mean just to sit under the bow tree or to sit in the cross-legged posture. It is true that this posture is the basic one or original way for us, but actually what Buddha meant was that mountains, trees, flowing water, flowers and plants, everything as it is, is the way Buddha is. It means everything is taking Buddha's activity, each thing in its own way. But the way each thing exists is not to be understood by itself in its own realm of consciousness. What we see or what we hear is just a part or a limited idea of what we actually are. But when we just are, each just existing in his own way, we are expressing Buddha himself. In other words, when we practice something such as Zazen, then there is Buddha's way or Buddha nature. When we ask what Buddha nature is, it vanishes. But when we just practice Zazen, we have full understanding of it. The only way to understand Buddha nature is just to practice Zazen, just to be here as we are. So what Buddha meant by Buddha nature was to be there as he was, beyond the realm of consciousness. Buddha nature is our original nature. We have it before we practice Zazen and before we acknowledge it in terms of consciousness. So in this sense, whatever we do is Buddha's activity. If you want to understand it, 
you cannot understand it. When you give up trying to understand it, true understanding is always there. Usually, after Zazen, I give a talk. But the reason people come is not just to listen to my talk, but to practice Zazen. We should never forget this point. The reason I talk is to encourage you to practice Zazen in Buddha's way. So we say that although you have Buddha nature, if you are under the idea of doing or not doing Zazen, or if you cannot admit that you are Buddha, then you understand neither Buddha nature nor Zazen. But when you practice Zazen in the same way as Buddha did, you will understand what our way is. We do not talk so much, but through our activity we communicate with each other, intentionally or unintentionally. We should always be alert enough to communicate with or without words. If this point is lost, we will lose the most important point of Buddhism. Wherever we go, we should not lose this way of life. That is called being Buddha, or being the boss. Wherever you go, you should be the master of your surroundings. This means you should not lose your way. So this is called Buddha, because if you exist in this way always, you are Buddha himself. Without trying to be Buddha, you are Buddha. This is how we attain enlightenment. To attain enlightenment is to be always with Buddha. By repeating the same thing over and over, we will acquire this kind of understanding. But if you lose this point and take pride in your attainment or become discouraged because of your idealistic effort, your practice will confine you by a thick wall. We should not confine ourselves by a self-built wall. So when Zazen time comes, just to get up, to go and sit with your teacher, and to talk to him, and listen to him, and then go home again. All these procedures are our practice. In this way, without any idea of attainment, you are always Buddha. This is true practice of Zazen. Then you may understand the true meaning of Buddha's first statement. See Buddha nature in various beings, and in every one of us. Epilogue Zen Mind Here in America we cannot define Zen Buddhists the same way we do in Japan. American students are not priests and yet not completely laymen. I understand it this way. That you are not priests is an easy matter. But that you are not exactly laymen is more difficult. I think you are special people and want some special practice that is not exactly priest's practice and not exactly layman's practice. You are on your way to discovering some appropriate way of life. I think that is our Zen community, our group. But we must also know what our undivided original way is and what Dogen's practice is. Dogen Zenji said that some may attain enlightenment and some may not. This is a point I am very much interested in. Although we all have the same fundamental practice which we carry out in the same way, some may attain enlightenment and some may not. It means that even if we have no experience of enlightenment, if we sit in the proper way with the right attitude and understanding of practice, then that is Zen. The main point is to practice seriously, and the important attitude is to understand and have confidence in big mind. We say, big mind, or small mind, or Buddha mind, or Zen mind, and these words mean something, you know. 
but something we cannot and should not try to understand in terms of experience. We talk about enlightenment experience, but it is not some experience we will have in terms of good or bad, time or space, past or future. It is experience or consciousness beyond those distinctions or feelings. So we should not ask, what is enlightenment experience? That kind of question means you do not know what Zen experience is. Enlightenment cannot be asked for in your ordinary way of thinking. When you are not involved in this way of thinking, you have some chance of understanding what Zen experience is. The big mind in which we must have confidence is not something which you can experience objectively. It is something which is always with you, always on your side. Your eyes are on your side, for you cannot see your eyes, and your eyes cannot see themselves. Eyes only see things outside, objective things. If you reflect on yourself, that self is not your true self anymore. You cannot project yourself as some objective thing to think about. The mind which is always on your side is not just your mind, it is universal mind. Always the same, not different from another's mind. It is Zen mind. It is big, big mind. This mind is whatever you see. Your true mind is always with whatever you see. Although you do not know your own mind, it is there. At the very moment you see something, it is there. This is very interesting. Your mind is always with the things you observe. So you see, this mind is at the same time everything. True mind is watching mind. You cannot say, this is myself, my small mind, or my limited mind, and that is big mind. That is limiting yourself, restricting your true mind, objectifying your mind. Bodhidharma said, in order to see a fish, you must watch the water. Actually, when you see water, you see the true fish. Before you see Buddha nature, you watch your mind. When you see the water, there is true nature. True nature is watching water. When you say, my zazen is very poor, here you have true nature, but foolishly you do not realize it. You ignore it on purpose. There is immense importance in the eye with which you watch your mind. That eye is not the big eye. It is the eye which is incessantly active, always swimming, always flying through the vast air with wings. By wings I mean thought and activity. The vast sky is home, my home. There is no bird or air. When the fish swims, water and fish are the fish. There's nothing but fish. Do you understand? You cannot find Buddha nature by vivisection. Reality cannot be caught by thinking or feeling mind. Moment after moment, to watch your breathing, to watch your posture, is true nature. There is no secret beyond this point. We Buddhists do not have any idea of material only, or mind only, or the products of our mind, or mind as an attribute of being. What we are always talking about is that mind and body, mind and material are always one. 
But if you listen carelessly, it sounds as if we are talking about some attribute of being or about material or spiritual. That would be a version of it, maybe. But actually, we are pointing out mind which is always on this side, which is true mind. Enlightenment experience is to figure out, to understand, to realize this mind which is always with us and which we cannot see. Do you understand? If you try to attain enlightenment as if you see a bright star in the sky, it will be beautiful, and you may think, ah, this is enlightenment. That is not enlightenment. That understanding is literally heresy. Even though you do not know it, in that understanding you have the idea of material only. Dozens of your enlightenment experiences are like that. Some material only some object of your mind, as if through good practice you have found that bright star. That is the idea of self and object. It is not the way to seek for enlightenment. The Zen school is based on our actual nature, on our true mind as expressed and realized in practice. Zen does not depend on a particular teaching, nor does it substitute teaching for practice. We practice Zazen to express our true nature, not to attain enlightenment. Bodhidharma's Buddhism is to be practice, to be enlightenment. At first, this may be a kind of belief, but later it is something the student feels or already has. Physical practice and rules are not so easy to understand, maybe especially for Americans. You have an idea of freedom which concentrates on physical freedom, on freedom of activity. This idea causes you some mental suffering and loss of freedom. You think you want to limit your thinking. You think some of your thinking is unnecessary or painful or entangling, but you do not think you want to limit your physical activity. For this reason, Hyakujo established the rules and way of Zen life in China. He was interested in expressing and transmitting the freedom of true mind. Zen mind is transmitted in our Zen way of life based on Hyakujo's rules. I think we naturally need some way of life as a group and as Zen students in America. And as Hyakujo established our way of monastic life in China, I think we must establish an American way of Zen life. I'm not saying this jokingly, I'm pretty serious. But I do not want to be too serious. If we become too serious, we will lose our way. If we are playing games, we will lose our way. Little by little, with patience and endurance, we must find the way for ourselves, find out how to live with ourselves and with each other. In this way, we will find out our precepts. If we practice hard, concentrate on Zazen, and organize our life so that we can sit well, we will find out what we are doing. But you have to be careful in the rules and way you establish. If it's too strict, you will fail. If it is too loose, the rules will not work. Our way should be strict enough to have authority, an authority everyone should obey. The rules should be possible to observe. This is how Zen tradition was built up, decided, little by little, created by us in our practice. We cannot force anything. But once the rules have been decided, 
we should obey them completely until they are changed. It is not a matter of good or bad, convenient or inconvenient. You just do it without question. That way your mind is free. The important thing is to obey your rules without discrimination. This way you will know the pure Zen mind. To have our own way of life means to encourage people to have a more spiritual and adequate way of life as human beings. And I think one day you will have your own practice in America. The only way to study pure mind is through practice. Our inmost nature wants some medium, some way to express and realize itself. We answer this inmost request through our rules and patriarch after patriarch shows us his true mind. In this way, we will have an accurate, deep understanding of practice. We must have more experience of our practice. At least we must have some enlightenment experience. You must put confidence in the big mind which is always with you. You should be able to appreciate things as an expression of big mind. This is more than faith. This is ultimate truth which you cannot reject. Whether it is difficult or easy to practice, difficult or easy to understand, you can only practice it. Priest or layman is not the point. To find yourself as someone who is doing something is the point. To resume your actual being through practice, to resume the you which is always with everything, with Buddha, which is fully supported by everything, right now. You may say it is impossible, but it is possible. Even in one moment you can do it. It is possible this moment, it is this moment. That you can do it in this moment means you can always do it. So if you have this confidence, this is your enlightenment experience. If you have this strong confidence in your big mind, you are already a Buddhist in the true sense, even though you do not attain enlightenment. That is why Dogen Zenji said, Do not expect that all who practice Zazen will attain enlightenment about this mind which is always with us. He meant, if you think that big mind is somewhere outside yourself, outside of your practice, then that is a mistake. Big mind is always with us. That is why I repeat the same thing over and over when I think you do not understand. Zen is not just for the man who can fold his legs or who has great spiritual ability. Everyone has Buddha nature. We each must find some way to realize our true nature. The purpose of practice is to have direct experience of the Buddha nature which everyone has. Whatever you do should be the direct experience of Buddha nature. Buddha nature means to be aware of Buddha nature. Your effort should extend to saving all sentient beings. If my words are not good enough, I'll hit you. Then you will understand what I mean. And if you do not understand me just now, someday you will. Someday, someone will understand. I will wait for the island I was told is moving slowly up the coast from Los Angeles to Seattle. I feel Americans, especially young Americans, have a great opportunity to find out the true way of life for human beings. 
you are quite free from material things, and you begin Zen practice with a very pure mind, a beginner's mind. You can understand Buddha's teaching exactly as he meant it. But we must not be attached to America, or Buddhism, or even to our practice. We must have beginner's mind, free from possessing anything, a mind that knows everything is in flowing change. Nothing exists but momentarily in its present form and color. One thing flows into another and cannot be grasped. Before the rain stops, we hear a bird. Even under the heavy snow, we see snowdrops and some new growth. In the east, I saw rhubarb already. In Japan, in the spring, we eat cucumbers. <laughs> 